Hey everyone, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast where we talk about literally everything Kubernetes related from cloud to on-prem to Kubernetes for infrastructure engineers and developers and everything in between. My name is Michael Levan and I'm joined today with Josh Duffney who's a cloud developer advocate at Microsoft. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Awesome, man. So one of the things that I really was interesting to me when we were chatting and stuff over Twitter and setting up this show was you're super in depth with Go, which is a very popular programming language and Kubernetes just so happens to be written in Go, along with Docker and Terraform and a lot of other cloud native specific tools. And the other thing that we were talking about was, you know, you know what Kubernetes is, you've dabbled in it, but you more or less hear about it from the people that are like really working in it day and night. So I think we're going to have two really interesting conversations here. Number one, where you think Go fits in and your you know journey through learning Go and also what your thoughts are around Kubernetes and, and microservices that we're hearing about all the time and containerization and all that good stuff. So Look for Awesome, man. So first thing that I'll, I'll ask you about is, you know, what is your take on Kubernetes in today's world? Where do you kind of see it fitting in? Do you think that it's relevant? You know, all that good stuff. I, I think it's a new way to run infrastructure and more and more people will migrate, migrate to it over time. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I very much feel the same way. I think more or less, I, I I kind of tell people Kubernetes is like the new data center because <laughs> like, you're – say that again? It's a good analogy. Yeah. Like I, I think that, you know, you have so many components inside of it. You know, you have networking, you have security, you have cluster management, you have high availability, you have scaling, you have application deployment, you have all this stuff. So it's like – you know, it, it is the new way that people are thinking about infrastructure. And, you know, since you work at Microsoft, figured I'd ask you, and, and if you can't answer, that's totally okay too. But do you see a lot of the things that running inside of Microsoft running on Kubernetes? I see a lot of stuff running in containers. Um, and then the natural progression for that is Kubernetes. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny, we uh, we, we had Luke on, and he's a, he's a developer at Microsoft, I know that you know who Luke is, and he mm -hmm. was kind of saying something very similar, you know, where they're, you know, more or less feeling the feeling the move to Kubernetes in, in one way or another. Yeah, well, it's a natural progression as you, you know, you start to break down apps into microservices, and then you containerize those apps, and then you have to find some way to manage those apps and deploy them um on top of the infrastructure and so you can you can kind of do that haphazardly in a number of ways but then kubernetes is is the kind of the best way in my opinion um from my limited knowledge of it but that seems to be the trend in the industry yeah totally agree with you there's there's one piece of it that you need a container to run your containerized application but then what kind of happens afterwards? You know, you need the ability to scale it out. You need to be the ability to manage it. And that's where an orchestrator comes into play. Uh, and of course, this podcast is more or less Kubernetes related, but there are other orchestrators out there. You know, there's Swarm and there's Nomad and, you know, there's people that create their own orchestrator. So, you know, that, that is that natural progression of, okay, I've containerized my application now, what do I do with it? Well, I need to be able to manage it. I need to be able to scale it. I need to be able to orchestrate it. So w one of the things that constantly comes up in, in the Kubernetes realm is Go. Because number one, you know, Kubernetes is written in Go. Number two, Go is just becoming 
increasingly popular just in the containerization, the orchestration, and the cloud native microservices, yada, yada, buzzwords, anything that you want to kind of throw at it. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your journey and go, you know, maybe why you went down the path and how it's been so far for you. Yeah. So let's, I guess we can start at how, start at the beginning where I joined Microsoft about a year and a half ago. So I joined Microsoft as a content developer, um, mainly focused on Ansible and Terraform, which has been kind of my, my background or where my expertise has been in the past. You know, I moved from like PowerShell scripting into the DevOps space and then eventually got really um, kind of involved in the infrastructure as code space. And those are natural fits for tools in that, in that space. And so I started to started the role in um, writing about those things and kind of translating a lot of the knowledge that I acquired in the industry into documents and stuff in, uh, in that space. But about, I don't know, six or eight months into the role, this opportunity came up to write content for Go. And I saw it as a, a way to walk the final stack or to get to the final destination of the stack of applications. So I started in like help desk, moved up to system administration and the DevOps infrastructures code. And I saw this as an opportunity to make that kind of that final step into software engineering or application development. And so that was kind of the reason behind it. And so over the last nine months or so um, has been uh, what I would call a learning project essentially to ramp up and go from a language perspective and learn it more in depth at a computer science level. So instead of learning, like I knew a lot of the concepts at a high level from my scripting experience and the abstraction of Terraform and all those other um, kind of domain specific languages. But now I wanted to go down to like the bottom level, which was go and to learn that. Uh, and so that was kind of the reason there. And I'm happy to kind of walk through the resources and how, how I kind of built that knowledge and where it's leading me um, if we want to. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything that you want to share, please feel free. Sure. So it kind of started, you know, with the typical route, finding resources and working through tutorials um, and interviewing what I would, what I call experts. That's kind of my favorite tactic to, to harvest good material, so to speak. So I talked to a number of people that were already using Go or writing Go um, and found out what good resources. And I kind of started to just uh, learn the languages at a deeper level that I had ever learned a language before uh, and started to tinker. So it kind of took me through learning the syntax. And then I learned um, more about the advanced programming. There's a really great resource that actually in hindsight would have been a more useful way to go through learning the language. It's um, the developer roadmap. So if you just Google developer roadmap, go, you'll find a GitHub repo and a website that kind of like walks through all the terms and concepts that you'll learn throughout the language. Um, so I did that and then I kind of held myself accountable by uh, writing a simple command line tool in Go and presented it to the PowerShell Summit last year. Um, and so I sprinkled in these little projects. My most recent one was to write my own uh, web app, our web server, and then host a web app. So I had to write the HTML and the CSS and actually create the MUX server myself instead of using a web framework. And so that kind of brings us full circle to now I have the skill of software engineering where I can build these really simple, silly web apps that I can now containerize. And so that's been the next step of my journey is, okay, I have the ability to write these little web apps. Now I can actually deploy them somewhere. And so I'm getting back to kind of my roots and in infrastructure now that I've approached it from the other way. So I've learned how to write the application code. I've got this little web app. I know how to put it in a Docker container. I have my image and now I'm deploying it out to ACR or GitHub packages or the GitHub repository. And then using that to deploy with Azure container app or you know, later on the road, maybe that web app has a backend, and then now I can deploy those as separate microservices 
and Kubernetes. And so that, that's the particular point that I'm in that journey now. Um, and I'm sure that I'll have more opportunity um, in my current role and cloud advocacy to explore that in more depth. So I really wanted to kind of approach Kubernetes and infrastructure from the other way versus just kind of the management and having apps that I'm that I didn't write and don't know how to write to support. I wanted to come at it the other way. And so that's really what kind of sparked the the go journey that I went on. Very cool, man. That's interesting. So I want to I want to touch on a few points there that you brought up. First things first, you learned go after learning PowerShell. And for for those of you who uh, have never used PowerShell, it's, you know, a very popular scripting language, I would arguably call it a general purpose programming language. There's there's a ton that you can do in it from a programming standpoint. I don't think it's just a scripting language, but it is certainly different than other languages, you know? So if you were to compare Python and, and JavaScript and other like object oriented related languages, it's, you know, obviously vastly different. What was your kind of take on PowerShell and then going into Go? The biggest hiccup for me was the statically typed nature of Go and it being compiled. So those are the two big differences that I had to kind of overcome um, as I did that. So it was kind of funny. My first Stack Overflow question, I was trying to learn how to write a test in Go and I was trying to, I was trying to test the type, which is a very common thing that you would do in PowerShell. Um, and needless to say, I got made fun of because you don't need to even test that in Go because statically typed by its nature means that you define the type and the compiler will reject any kind of uh, object that you're creating or data set that you're creating, custom struct, if it doesn't exactly match. And so you never need to test that use case in your code because when you compile it, it'll throw the error. Um, so those are the, the two sticking points um, that I ran into, but there were a lot of similarities because one of the major use cases for Go is writing command line tools or a framework for a command line tool. Um, and so I was very familiar, like having come from PowerShell, what a good command line experience is and what it should be like. And so I got an opportunity to like look a little bit level, a level down and say, okay, well, I've always used this tree command or I've used get child item. Like how would I actually write that commandlet? And so there was a lot of transfer in that particular area because I had deeper expertise in the terminal and I could use those to kind of reverse engineer and teach myself, uh, go in more depth where I had a lot of use cases. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and the statically typed thing I want to point out, I, I actually, I teach a go course, uh, on O'Reilly's website live every couple months. And one of the things that I pointed out a few weeks ago when I was teaching it is how a statically typed language differs. So, you know, if people are coming from Python, it's very different. You kind of just create a parameter, have a return, have it return that parameter or that variable. And then, you know, you kind of go on your merry way. But with Go, as you said, you know, let's say you define a parameter in your function, you define it as a string, and then you try to return an integer, the language is going to yell at you because it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, we're not returning the correct type. And that's, I, I arguably think that statically typed languages are much better because of that. It saves you tons of bugs later on, like tons of bugs that don't even need to be there. Say that again. It saves you from yourself. <laughs> Exactly. It does. Yeah. Yep. It also helps you to really appreciate and learn types. Like that's probably the biggest area um, that you'll want to focus on if you're coming from a different language, Python or PowerShell, is you really want to spend some time understanding Go's type system. 
And so for that, I'd recommend Go in Action. There's a whole chapter dedicated to Ghost Type System that's fantastic. Like I just, I read a number of resources and I found this one and I came back to it because it was such a good explanation of the difference and how it works. Um, and so once you understand that, oh, everything is typed and here's how they're different and here's how you do type conversion and not casting, um, that'll really help you if you're coming from another language. Yep, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I actually just remembered because I haven't touched PowerShell in a very long time, but PowerShell's more like a functional based language versus an object oriented based language. So do you think that it would be harder for somebody learning Go to come from say Python, for example, because Python's more object oriented, right? Whereas in Go, you don't necessarily have objects you have you know types and structs that you create i think you'd have an easier time with python to go and go to python what because there's just a lot of stuff that's taken care of for you in powershell um, that you have to like analyze a little bit deeper it's not immediately apparent how you would do that in go that makes sense yeah and the the other thing that i always say to people about go is and this is just my personal opinion i think go is even easier than Python to learn. Uh, I think that Go yeah. has odd, a little bit of an odd syntax when you first start it, but when you actually dive into it, I, I personally think it's easier to learn than, than Python and, and other languages because it's very straightforward. Like in in Python, I'm going to keep picking on Python because it's easy. Uh, it, there's a million <laughs> different ways to do things, right? But like in right. Go, there's typically one way to do a thing and that's it. And it's very opinionated, which yes. I, I appreciate, you know, PowerShell was opinionated because the culture around it was opinionated, but Go is opinionated as a language and the compiler enforces that opinion. Right. Yep. Totally agree. So uh, going off of something else that you said that you were, you know, now honing in on your infrastructure knowledge, because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, the beginning of your career and stuff, you were very infrastructure focused in the sysadmin yeah. space and stuff, right? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And now you kind of feel that coming back around again as you're diving even deeper into Go and, and diving into containerization and all that stuff. So would you agree that your infrastructure start right to your career was like very extremely beneficial to what you're doing now? Yeah. So it's super funny. So when I was learning the web development, so I learned kind of go at a very academic syntaxy level and like learn the language kind of in and out. And then I was like, I really need to find some way to apply all this stuff. And like the command line tools were great, but they would only get me so far. I needed something a little bit different. And so I started to, to dive into web development with go, um, which you can totally do. There's frameworks for it, but I decided to start from scratch, actually from a recommendation, a course recommendation from Luke, um, web development and go it's on Udemy that I took. And so I started to learn, like he even broke it down in the course. Uh, Todd McLeod is the instructor, like how you would build your own server using TCP. And I like, and then it brought me back to day one because the very first, or I think it was the second certification I got on my health desk job was the network plus. And so of course there's the OSI model on that. And I eventually moved on to get my CCNA, which has long since expired, but it brought me back to like the very first, you know, couple years of my career when I started to learn web development, because now I understood like, oh, this is how I create a header. That's what they were talking about when I was learning about this protocol. So I think it gave me, it allowed me to see all the dots connecting where um, now that I'm kind of learning some web development at a basic level, I understand how the rest of it works. I understand like how it's communicating over the network. I know where it would be running and how that would look. 
And so it gives me, it's given me a, a complete picture of the application development life cycle that has been insanely um, beneficial. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I, uh, my background is very much uh, in the infrastructure space as well. Like that's where I started out and then I kind of moved into software development and then I moved into the DevOps CSRE arena. And what I would say is it often seems easier for engineers to go from infrastructure to development than it does for engineers to go from development to infrastructure. For whatever reason, I constantly hear that it's, and, and I felt the same way, that it was e that it's easier to go from like in, learn, understanding infrastructure, being a sysadmin, to go in coding. Because a lot of the things, that you're, especially in today's world, like when it comes to containerization, when it comes to Kubernetes, you're doing a lot of infrastructure and a lot of networking related tasks. Mm -hmm. The single skill that I'm most grateful for coming from the infrastructure side, like when you start on that side of the camp, so to speak, your number one asset is reverse engineering. You just have to like constantly apply it to everything. And that's actually been a tremendous asset for me coming the other way and using that as kind of my default learning style is just reverse engineering everything that I go along the way. But because I have that background, as I go through and reverse engineer that stuff, I understand, you know, 50% or more of whatever the situation is. Um, because I have that background in infrastructure, but yeah, the reverse engineering, um, I think is a, just a really great mental model that transfers. And I think that helps people that come from infrastructure and learn development because they're, they're breaking things down and they're not trying to like understand it from a high level academic sense. They're just really trying to understand like actually how it works and how it should work. Yep. Yeah. Right. So it's, I, I agree with you, the reverse engineering piece and tinkering and figuring things out definitely helps. I feel like in today's world, you know, it's you, <laughs> if, if the answer can't be found on Stack Overflow in 10 minutes, people are like, it can't be done. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> so yeah, I think the reverse engineering, I think that coming from a background of like, let's tinker with this stuff makes sense. It puts you into a certain mindset. I mean, I, I could even argue that because I had servers in my house and I was like tinkering and figuring out how things worked and spinning things up and doing things on my own versus just logging into the cloud and spinning something up. I think that put me into a certain mindset of being able to dive deep and to reverse engineer certain things and make things work. You, you kind of feel the same way more or less. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a little like for you rack in my office with a couple like ancient Cisco routers and switches and I implemented spanning tree on there. You know, so like that's probably even a term that most people don't know unless they are somewhat uh, knowledgeable in networking. Um, so, yeah, like absolutely helped. Yeah. So funny enough, uh, the Packet Pushers network is primarily networking related. So I bet a lot of people listening to this will know well, exactly I what guess you're talking so. about. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I'm not alone. Thank you for everyone out there that understands Spanning Tree and the pain that's associated with it. Yeah, no, but I think you're absolutely right. I think understanding those fundamentals of the underlying infrastructure and components is so incredibly crucial in this space. So let's let's kind of get to the end of what you were saying, which is, you know, now you, you've kind of went through all of these motions and now you're at the point where you're saying, okay, 
I now know how to build this application and go, now I'm going to deploy it to a container. I'm going to deploy it to Kubernetes. And you mentioned a few, uh, a few options there like Azure Container Apps. And Azure Container Apps was something uh, that came up big for me at MS Build. What, what, what is your kind of thoughts around something like Azure Container Apps versus something like Kubernetes? Do you have an opinion on it or? I think uh, my opinion would be where you're at in your your like what's your use case so like you know from an enterprise perspective like what's the use case of the particular thing like are you just running a single a single app right like for me it's just a simple web app that doesn't have any other services tied to it and so it makes sense to throw it in there where you can kind of get your reps in with containerizing it you don't need to spin up a vm or any kind of heavy infrastructure or lock yourself into a pas offering so that's the benefit there um but then if you were to Kind of grow that service out and in need of microservices or any kind of a back end or multiple pieces to the front end um then you would want to scale out to something a little bit more an orchestrator um, but i think it's a really great tool to keep you on the right path of containerization that can be a progression to uh, kubernetes down the line um, and that's kind of where i'm at where my current project right now on the side to learn all this stuff is i'm creating a new like website for you know myself it's, i don't think it'll be a blog it'll just be a kind of a landing page site that I can tinker. So I have this idea. So I write in the mornings. Um, it's kind of my little side hobby and I want to buy this free write typewriter. And so it's like a digital typewriter and all it does is it lets you do rough drafts. So it's legitimately like a digital typewriter and it connects to Wi-Fi and syncs to Dropbox and stuff, but it's like 500 bucks. And so it's like a challenge to myself would be like, can I earn, like, can I sell a manuscript and kind of earn the $500? And the cool thing would be, what if I put a progress bar on that where I hook to kind of the Gumroad APIs and create this progress bar on this website. And then so the question goes, okay, where do I deploy that? So container apps would be a great use case, but maybe later on down the line, I wanna uh, create kind of a login for the site. And so then I have this backend and this database. And so that might be an opportunity where I split them out into multiple containers um, and then deploy them to AKS versus uh, container app. So that that's where I see just the progression of it going, but it's keeping me going through the right paces of containerization and not having to switch to uh, some other alternative for hosting. Right. Yeah. I think that totally makes sense. Depending on the complexity of the application, you're going to go in one way or another. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And all mine's kind of scoped to personal learning. Um, so I'm sure that'll all transfer, but I really wanted to like, I want to walk all the way through all this, you know, and have the skills, like have all these ideas. And I think a lot of people out there are like that, that are in the infrastructure world. Like I, like if I start a job tomorrow and someone gives me an app, like I can totally, you know, scale it out, make it highly available and all that good stuff. But they're kind of locked where they can't um, fully experiment on it because they're, they don't yet have the skills to kind of design even their most simple app. So like legitimately the complexity of the app that I'm talking about this website is one HTML file, one CSS file and a Docker file, you know, that runs the Go web server. And then that's just containerized into an app and it's pushed out to container app. And so there's, there's a lot less of a barrier to go through all these paces for you to learn it on your site on the on your own um, that will transfer over into your job um, than than most people think. Yep, continuous learning is a definite necessity in today's world, especially with how fun. fast everything's going. Fun. Exactly. Yep. If you if you love what you're doing, this is uh this is the job for you. If you're doing it for a paycheck, this is not the job for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Cool, man. Well, wrapping up here, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And this is your opportunity to plug anything. So you got books out there, you got courses, anything that you want to plug anywhere where people can find you, please feel free to do it now. 
Yeah, probably the, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. So at Josh Duffney. Um, from my books, there are, if you just go to Duffney.io, you'll be able to find links to everything else that I've kind of created. Um, those are the best two places to find me right now. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. This was very beneficial for anybody that's jumping into Kubernetes and that wants to learn the language of Kubernetes and get some cool projects going along the way. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.